Now imagine with me that someone came to you and offered you this deal. Someone comes to you and tells you that if you can drive from one coast of the country all the way to the other coast of the country in five days, uh, they will give you a million dollars. Would you take that deal? I think I heard some amens. Yes, (laughs) you would take that deal. And so you go to one coast of the country and you begin driving about 600 miles a day. And as you get going, everything is going according to plan. You're even picturing the million dollars you're about to win. And you get within five miles of the finish line. You have about an hour left to finish when suddenly the unthinkable happens. Your car breaks down. Now you don't have time to get your car fixed. So what would any reasonable person do in that scenario? Get out of their car and run. You guys are on top of it today. So you start to run. And you haven't run in a while, so you know, you're breathing hard, but you're still picturing that a million dollars, and so you're running fast, when suddenly, about two miles out, and down to just minutes, the unthinkable happens again. You severely sprain your ankle. Well, what would any reasonable person do in that situation? Would you stand there? Would you sulk about your ankle? No. You start to limp with all your might the last two miles to get the a million dollars. And so you're limping as fast as you can, and you are just 50 yards away from the finish line. You can even see it, but suddenly you can't even limp anymore because your ankle hurts so bad. So what would any reasonable person do in that situation? Right answer again. You begin to crawl the last 50 yards through the finish line, publicly humiliating yourself, but you don't care. And you crawl through the finish line. You win a million dollars. Congratulations. Now, Let's think about what you sacrificed to win that money. Your car, it's just sitting back there somewhere. You left it behind. Your comfort, you were in pain the whole last five miles. Your health, your ankles just destroyed. And even your dignity. You crawled in public for 50 yards. Now, I know that's a silly illustration, but why did you go through all those things And why do they feel so small at the end? Because of your priorities. Your priority was to win the a million dollars at all costs. Now stay with me. If you and I would prioritize winning a million dollars that way, why don't we prioritize the surpassing eternal riches we have in Christ that way? If we... Uh, would prioritize winning a million dollars, which is a drop in a bucket compared to the eternal riches we have in Christ, then why don't we prioritize the eternal riches we have in Christ that way? I'll tell you why. Because we don't have the right priorities. Wrong priorities will lead to discouragement every single time. Think about the life of Jesus Jesus was never, ever defeated by discouragement. Why? Was it because he had an easy life? Certainly not. Jesus constantly sacrificed his time. He was always with other people. Jesus sacrificed his sleep. He would spend whole nights praying to the Lord. Jesus sacrificed being liked by other people to tell them the truth even when they didn't want to hear it. Jesus endured unimaginable shame on the cross. 
Now think about this one. Jesus came from heaven to earth. That's an inconceivable sacrifice. Giving up the comforts of heaven to come to earth for us. So how did Jesus survive throughout all of that and never get discouraged? Because Jesus didn't focus on everything. Jesus didn't put everything first, did he? No. Jesus had clear priorities. And Jesus taught you and I to have clear priorities. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's a priority statement. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. That's a priority statement. One of the greatest uh, stories in the Bible, uh, illustrations in the Bible we get, is what happened with Mary and Martha. Remember? Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to His teaching. But what was Martha doing? She was distracted with much serving. And Jesus said to Martha, listen, Mary has chosen the better thing. That's a priority teaching. It's not that serving is bad. It's just sitting at the Lord's feet is better. Jesus taught us all about priorities. Listen, we are not called to focus on everything. We are not called to put everything first. We are taught to have clear priorities. And having clear priorities is such an important thing in the face of discouragement. Here's the take-home message this morning. I will continue to hound all of you every week to take notes on those bulletins with fill-in-the-blanks. Here's the take-home message. We defeat discouragement by choosing Christ's priorities. We defeat discouragement by choosing Christ's priorities. Now, even as you're writing that, I want to do what I'm going to call a gospel pause, okay? Because this is not a self-help message. Listen, our salvation is not dependent on getting this right. If you're like me, you get your priorities wrong all the time. We've got to come back to the Lord again and again to get this right. But our salvation is dependent on the fact that Christ got it right. So we can come to him and admit when we get it wrong. Let me also say this. God's love for you is not dependent on you getting this right. If you are in Christ, God's love for you is in Christ because Christ got it right. It doesn't go up and down. God loves you. Your salvation is secure in Christ if you are a follower of Christ. We just need to remember that before we dive in today. I like how Timothy Keller puts it. He says, the gospel is not, we obey, therefore we are accepted. The gospel is we are accepted in Christ, therefore we obey. You get the difference? So we've got to get that right. Anytime we come to the word to get our priorities straight or to see how we can live into Christ, we have to remember that it's Christ's finished work that secures our salvation. But also hear me when I say this. How much we pursue God and Christ says something about how much we love Him. Okay? Remember what Jesus said? Those who love me will keep my commandments. 
So if we, we love God, we will pursue him as we seek to grow into being more like him. So with that in mind, we are going to walk through verses 16 through 18, verse by verse, but let me read it in its entirety as we get started. Look to verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. These are God's words for us this morning, and we see three priorities that we have to get right if we're going to defeat discouragement in Christ. Here's the first one. We defeat discouragement by prioritizing spiritual strength over physical strength. We defeat discouragement by prioritizing spiritual strength over physical strength. Look at verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What does this phrase, we do not lose heart, mean? Well, it shows up twice in chapter 4. If you look at verse 1, it's right there, and then here in verse 16. So this is a major theme of this chapter, and what it essentially means is we do not despair, and we do not become discouraged. Okay, Paul is saying we do not become discouraged. Now, right as those words leave my mouth, I have another question for you. Do you think that the Apostle Paul had some reasons to lose heart? I think he did. I think of 1 Corinthians 15.31 where he said to the Corinthian church, I protest, brothers, I die every day. 365 days a year I'm dying. You flip just a few chapters forward into 11, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28, it's in your notes. Uh, Paul recounts his sufferings. He recounts the discouraging circumstances in his life. He says, five times at the hands of the Jews, uh, I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That's 39 times five. That's a lot of lashes, right? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. Now get ready for a lot of danger here. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. I told you. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I mean, that's a pretty big resume of suffering, isn't it? As Paul is enduring all this physical turmoil, he's also carrying around the anxiety of all these churches he planted. So let me ask you again, do you think the Apostle Paul had some reasons to be discouraged? Yes, he did. 
I think it's safe to say about the Apostle Paul that he was dying on the outside, isn't it? But let me tell you something. Paul was also more alive than almost anyone on the inside. You think of Romans 11.33 as he's worshiping God for God's plan. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Have you stopped to consider that this is the man who wrote so many of the encouraging words we have in the New Testament? This man, enduring all of this, he may have been dying on the outside, but he was being made alive on the inside. As one pastor told me, being a Christian means you're living and dying at the same time. Anyone feel like that this morning? I think all of us can look at our lives and see one way that we are dying but another way that in Christ we are being made alive. That is the pattern for the Christian life. Dying on the outside, living on the inside. Both Jesus and the Apostle Paul were living and dying at the same time. So how did they avoid discouragement? Well, they prioritized the living over the dying. You get that? They prioritized the living over the dying. They prioritize the inside over the outside. They prioritize spiritual strength over physical strength. Now, I'm not saying physical strength and health are bad things. They're not bad things. In fact, we are called to steward our bodies, right? What I'm trying to say to you this morning is that if we put our hope in our physical strength and our physical health, they will fail us. I think about, I'm 32 years old, and I already wake up in the morning and think, man, my neck hurts, and I don't even know why my neck hurts. So if that's happening to me, I know it's happening to some of you. As we get older and the body continues to pass away, we must be doing the things that renew us spiritually. We must be putting our hope in our spiritual strength. Physical training is of some value, but godliness is profitable for all things, holding value in this life and the life to come. 1 Timothy 4.8. So my question for you is, what are you doing to renew your spiritual strength? What are you doing to renew your spiritual hope? We talked about Jesus. He would spend all night praying, right? He would get away and be with the Father. We have to have those things in our lives. Coming to church this morning is one of those things that renews our spiritual strength, right? So we need to be prioritizing our spiritual strength over our physical strength. Here's the second one. We defeat discouragement by prioritizing weight of glory over worldly comfort. Weight of glory over worldly comfort. Look at verse 17 with me. Paul says, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, what does affliction mean? We talked about it recently. Uh, the word affliction literally means oppressing. Okay, it is a picture of pressure. It's when you feel like the world's pressure is crushing you. That's what it means to be afflicted. And so uh, Paul says, uh, this light momentary pressure I'm facing can't be compared to the eternal weight of glory. Now, 
Let me ask you another question about Paul. Would you look at the Apostle Paul's life and think that his affliction is light and momentary? That's not how I would describe it. His life and ministry were marked by suffering. We know that. So how can he turn around and call his affliction light and momentary? I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? Here's why. Because the Apostle Paul had his eyes fixed on the eternal weight of glory. And in the face of the eternal weight of glory, all of these things seem really small. Listen, if you don't see the eternal weight of glory, every one of your problems is going to look like a mountain. But when you look at the eternal weight of glory, these things look really small. We have to be looking at the eternal weight of glory. Remember the illustration? Remember, you're running after that a million dollars and all these things you're enduring don't really matter? What if you stop looking at the prize? Your car breaks down, you hurt your ankle. All these things, they would look like a big deal, but they're not in the face of the prize, the eternal weight of glory that we have in Christ isn't it amazing how our perspective affects how much pain we'll go through? Now, my dad is a college basketball coach. Some of you already know that. This will give you a picture into the type of coach my dad is, by the way. But my dad would put his players through conditioning. I played for my dad, so I've been through things like this. And the players would just lay at half court dead after they would run. And if they had to do another one, what my dad would say is he would say, look at that scoreboard up there. If that thing was falling, would you run out of the way? The answer is yes. <laughs> Our perspective affects how much pain we'll put up with, right? Paul could endure a lot of pain because he had an eternal perspective. The disciples could endure a lot of pain because they had eternal perspectives. You think about the disciples. All of them, excluding just John, who was exiled, all of them died for Christ. But Jesus said that the 12 disciples are seated over the 12 tribes of Israel in the new heaven and new earth. I mean, I'm sure when they're sitting there, they're not going to be too worried about the things they endured to get there, right? But that's another sermon. We won't get into that. My question for you this morning is, do you see the weight of glory clearly? Do you see it? Do you see the prize that awaits us, the eternal riches that we have in Christ Jesus? Maybe we need to take our eyes off the mountain of discouraging circumstances and set them on the eternal weight of glory. That's what Jesus did who despised the cross, scorning its shame, but for the hope set before him, endured the cross. He saw what awaited him so he could endure it. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to renew how we see the eternal weight of glory. We defeat discouragement by prioritizing weight of glory over worldly comfort. And here's the last one. We defeat discouragement by prioritizing faith in Christ over faith in sight. Faith in Christ over faith in sight. Look at verse 18 with me. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know what this is talking about? One word, faith. 
Faith is what it means to look to the unseen, eternal things when things around you don't look good. That's faith. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter that basically expounds on verse 18. It talks all about people who were looking to the promises of God in their future and because of that were able to endure unimaginably hard circumstances. Hebrews 11.1 actually gives us the definition of faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But I'll tell you what. We have a tendency to put our faith in all kinds of things that aren't God. We have a tendency to put our hope in all kinds of different things that don't satisfy and aren't from God. So we need to clarify what is our faith in? Is it in what we see, what we hear, what we smell? No. Our faith is in Christ. That is our foundational priority. Our faith is in Christ. It's our foundational priority. We have to keep being reminded of that. We have to keep returning there. Because if we don't return there constantly, things don't always look so good around us, do they? It doesn't always look like things are working out. So if we're looking around with our eyes and simply putting faith in what we see, we will become discouraged. God never asks us to put our faith in sight. He tells us to put our faith in Christ. You know, one of the coolest pictures of this in the Bible is all the way back in 2 Kings 6. I'm talking about Elisha the prophet, and I'll describe the story to you. So in 2 Kings 6, uh, there is a king from Syria, okay? Syria was a northern nation that would put pressure on Israel from the north. And Syria was warring against Israel, And so the king of Syria would call together his counselors and make a plan of attack. But every time he would show up to attack the Israelites, they wouldn't be there. So he begins to think, you know, I've got a leaker in my camp. I've got to find out who's telling the Israelites about my plans. And so he he goes and asks his counselors. He says, listen, which one of, of you is for Israel? And one of them says, listen, none of us are for Israel but there's this prophet named Elisha who hears the words that you even speak in your bedroom. And he's going and telling the king of Israel so that they're always ready for your attacks. So this powerful Syrian king does what any king would do. He says, we're going to track down this guy Elisha. So they find out he's in Dothan and they go and surround his town. And the next morning, uh, Elisha has this young man who's a servant and he wakes up, you know, he's probably rubbing his eyes. He just got up. And he walks outside and he probably had to rub his eyes a few more times because there's a giant Syrian army surrounding their house. And he goes back inside and he says, Elisha, what are we going to do? He starts to panic. And Elisha, you know, is just waking up and he's not worried at all. And he says, listen, there are more with us than against us. And he prays and asks the Lord to open the young man's eyes. And the young man looks around again, and what does he see? Horses and chariots of fire that far surpass the Syrian army. You want to know what happened there? God took that young man from faith in sight to faith in Christ. Do we see our circumstances that way? 
when things get hard, do we look to Christ? Do we see His support? Do we see His promises in His Word? Do we look back and see what He's done for us in the past? Or do we put our trust in our eyes? Listen, God majors in doing things in ways that people don't expect. Think if Christ Himself had put His faith in sight. As He carried the cross up Calvary. It didn't look like He was going to win that one. But God does things in unexpected ways. And Christ had his eyes on the Father. And we are called to follow Christ, put our faith in Christ, even when things don't make sense in this world. We must put our faith in Christ. We must return there every day, renew that every day, or else we will get discouraged. In conclusion, we defeat discouragement by choosing Christ's priorities And we defeat discouragement by prioritizing spiritual strength over physical strength, weight of glory over worldly comfort, and faith in Christ over faith in sight. Which glasses do you have on this morning? Do you have on your spectacles of faith in Christ or your spectacles of faith in sight?